الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى اله واصحابه والتابعين لهم باحسان الى يوم الدين اما بعد ان شاء الله تعالى وعندي كتاب رساله لطيفه باي الشيخ عبد الرحمن بن ناصر السعدي رحمه الله الحمد لله We've taken a large portion of the book and now what's left is taqreeban um, um, three chapters insha'Allah taqreeban huh? Let me just double check Yeah, so we have three we have three chapters left inshallah ta'ala and we're finished inshallah ta'ala. After three chapters, we are finished inshallah ta'ala. Okay. Um, today inshallah ta'ala's chapter, the author he speaks about Usul Mustambatah min al Kitabi wa Sunnah. Principles that are extracted from the Quran and the Sunnah. These are principles that have been derived has been extracted from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. These are very important principles that the author, rahimahullah, mentions. Okay? He says, وَأَخَذَ الْأُصُولِيُّونَ مِنَ الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ أُصُولًا كَثِيرًا بَنَوْ عَلَيْهَا أَحْكَامًا كَثِيرَةً بَنَوْ عَلَيْهَا أَحْكَامًا كَثِيرَةً جِدًّا وَنَفَعُوا وَانْتَفَعُوا بِهَا he says that the scholars of Usul al-Fiqh, the Usuliyid, he said that they took from the Qur'an and the Sunnah principles. They took from the Qur'an and the Sunnah principles. Banaw alayha ahkaman, and they built, based on that, they have built many rulings on it. And these principles they took out from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they built it upon many of their arguments. And he, many of the usulin, if you go back to your arguments, you tend to find it's based upon an asal that they are picking up from. A qa'ida that they're using. Okay? Which they benefited from and they benefited others. Faminha, the author now gives examples of some of them. Faminha from them is, Al-yaqeenu la yazulu bil-shak. Al-yaqeenu la yazulu bil-shak. Certainty uh, cannot be removed with doubt. Certainty cannot be removed with doubt. This is a qa'idah they took from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. They took it from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And they used it. Okay? And the evidence is from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. is many, but one of them is that the Prophet ﷺ said to the man, 
Do not leave the prayer. Do not leave the prayer until you hear a sound that comes out or you smell something. And you're praying, you're in doubt whether you broke your wudu in the salah. The Prophet said to the companion, don't leave the prayer unless you hear something or you smell something. Yeah, certainty is what you can leave the prayer based on. Once you're certain, now leave the prayer. So that from there they took qa'ida, which is um, you knew you did something. Yani you knew that you had wudu. Now you're in doubt whether you broke your wudu or not. Okay? Then what we say is stick with the certainty, which is that you knew you had wudu. The fact that you broke it or not is a doubt, right? Al-yaqeenu la yazulu bishak. A man has a doubt. Okay, a man has a doubt. And has he divorced his wife or not? There's a man who has a doubt whether he divorced his wife or not. We will say to him, no, you haven't divorced your wife. She's still your wife. The reason is because um, the certainty of you marrying her or you marrying her is certain. We all know that you've been married to her. The people know, the community know, the people who are your nikah, everyone is there. And he was, it's known. You're doubtful whether you broke that certainty. Okay, you have to remove it with another certainty. You can't remove it with a doubt. So this qa'ida you can see, al-yaqeenu la yazulu bishak, al-yaqeenu la yuzalu bishak, is a very comprehensive uh, principle. It's a very comprehensive principle. And it is... And it is um, one of the five major principles. The author also says some of the principles that the scholars used is The scholars also used the qawaid known as al-istishab. Al-istishab is qawaid that um, the default position, which this is taken from these ones that he's going to mention now are all taken from the qa'idah al-yaqeenu la yazulu bishak. And you can't remove um, certainty with doubt. For example, uh, I'm walking on the street, for example, and someone pours water over me. And I don't know who did it. And I can't find the person. The asal is that the water is clean until proven otherwise. So it falls under the qa'idah which is al-yaqeenu la yazulu bishak. The certainty is that water is clean. Allah told us in the Quran that the, the water is clean. We have sent down from the sky pure water. The Prophet said, The water is clean. Now you're doubtful whether the, the, that cleansiness is gone. You have to know for sure. You can't remove it with doubt. Okay? Uh, everything is permissible for you to utilize okay unless there comes a text and says you can't okay the asal is that we are allowed to eat everything and anything unless proven otherwise okay also everything is pure until proven otherwise well asal baraati dhimami min al-wajibat the default position is 
a person is innocent and is free from any claims and any obligations until, until proven with certainty. Yani you can't just grab someone on the street and accuse them of something and say, you have to give me 10,000 dirhams. Now, I'm innocent. I don't have to give you anything. Prove I have to give it to you. Okay? The same is that to say that this, this ruling is wajib. To say this ruling is wajib, meaning you have to do it. Um, you have to do it. And this Allah made this obligatory on you. The one who says obligation has to bring the evidences. And the wajib is ziyada, it's something additional. As to bring evidence for it. Okay? Because the, us, the default position is I don't have to do anything. I am free from obligations. Anyone who makes things obligatory on me has to bring evidences. And if Allah makes something obligatory on me, then it's obligatory on me. If the Prophet makes it obligatory on me, then it is obligatory on me. But if there's no evidence that Allah and His Messenger made it obligatory on me, the default position is that it's not obligatory on me. The burden of proof is the one. The burden of proof is upon the one who claims or the obligation. Okay? وَالْأَصْلُ بِقَاءُ مَشْتَغَلَتْ بِهِ ذِمَمٍ مِنْ حُقُوقِ اللَّهِ وَحُقُوقِ عِبَادِ حَتَّى يَتَيَقَنَ الْبَرَاءَةَ وَالْأَدَاءَ Someone asked a question. If he was guilty and we do not know, will he be set free? يعني, as I said to you before, is that we have to know he is guilty. If we know he's guilty, then we have to provide our evidences. And if we don't have evidence to provide, he's not guilty. Okay? I'll give you an example. A man, a man saw a woman and a man committing zina. He was one person by himself. He saw it. He saw it with his eyes. He saw it with his two eyes. He looked and he saw it. He saw it. Okay, um, does this mean they committed zina? No. In the Sharia, no. Two people saw it? No. Three people saw it? No. Four people saw it? Yes. And they're reliable? Now they committed zina. Look how that is. So it's what you can prove, it's what has evidence for it. Okay, brothers and sisters? It's evidence, it's based on evidence. I know someone stole something, but I can't prove it. It's not evidence. It's not an evidence. The asal is that the person is innocent. And if you want to remove that, 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 that role from their innocency, bring your evidence. Okay? The author then says, that um, hardship brings about ease. And if something's hard on a person, Allah Taala loves ease for you. You read Allah bikum al-usra, wala you read bikum al-usra. Naam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, "Ida amartu bishayin, fatu minhu mastatatum." If Allah commands you to do something, or the Messenger commands you to do something, you have to do in accordance to your ability. Yani mastatatum, whatever you're, whatever you're able to do, it's based upon your ability. And under that, the scholars, they mention لا واجب مع العجز ولا محرم مع الضرورة Under this principle, which is al المشقة تجرب التيسير 
the scholars they mention um, there's nothing obligatory when you don't have the ability there's no obligatory obligation someone cannot fast fasting is obligatory right if he doesn't have the ability there's no obligation on him anymore it drops sorry and there is no haram ma'adharura and there is no haram there is no haram ma'adharura when there's necessity mm-hmm. there's no haram ma'adharura when there's necessity yani there's nothing haram from you when there is necessity uh, there's no also the scholars they mention that the necessity anyone can just say oh it was necessity i did it out of necessity the author brings another qaida which is um, the necessity, the darura, is something that permits for a person any and everything. Necessity permits for you any and everything. Lakin, we have to observe the necessity. The necessity has to be looked at. تُقَدَّرُ بِقَدَّرِهَا ما معنى تُقَدَّرُ بِقَدَّرِهَا It means that the darura, it permits, its permission is based on its requirement. Someone um, is going to die or he has to eat something haram. Or he's going to die. So he has to eat pork in order to live. We'll say, okay, no, eat it. If you're going to die, eat it. So he eats it. And then what does he do? He eats it uh, another day. And he, he takes some of the pork, puts it in his bag, he goes home and he eats it for a week. Yeah. Then this, this is wrong. You can't. Why? It's based upon the need. You're, it's based upon that need. You can't go beyond and more than that. Sah? You can't go more and beyond that. And some of the examples that scholars sometimes give is that a person is in your house, he wants to harm you. You are allowed to repel him based upon whatever can remove him. And if you shout uh, at him, he'll run away. You're not allowed to shoot him. He's a thief, he's in your house. If you say, hey, I can see you, he'll run away. Okay? It's important to understand that. Three people come into your house. Now you're in a situation where it's more than one. And you know if you say, hey, it's not going to work. But using a stick might work. They use a stick. You know you're stronger than three of them. Or even it's one person, but you know. You repel them with ability. Or you've got a gun. If you shoot it outside and somewhere else, or at their legs, you'll know they'll stop and they'll leave. You don't stray. Someone comes into your house, you use a bazooka and you kill them. And that's not saying, oh, I was uh, defending myself. No. The defending is a darura, it's a necessity, and it should be done in accordance to the need. 
Okay. وَمِنْهَا from the from the خَلَائِدِ الْأُمُورُ بِمَقَاصِدِهَا Things are based upon its um, matters are based upon its intention, and of course this one you know it enters many things. Ah, it enters many things. A man says to his wife, "You are free to go." The word "you're free to go" does he mean you're you're divorced, or does he mean you can go to your parents' house for now? What does he mean by "you're free to go"? This word is called a kinaya. It's not a sarih. It's not direct. This word. What he means by it is what determines whether he's divorced or not. Okay? He's not married to her or he is married to her is all based upon what he intended. Okay? So these are very important principles. Very important principles. وَيُخْتَارُ أَعْلَى الْمَصْلَحَتَيْنِ وَيُرْتَكَبُ أَخَفُّ الْمَفْسَدَتَيْنِ عِنْدَ التَّزَاحُمِ You are in a situation... Where there, where there are two goods, which one do I take? You take the, two, the, the best of the two. There's two maslaha, there are two goods. Which one's beneficial? I want to pray sunnah or I have a lesson to teach. And I can't do both. I'm, I have to do one. I either pray or I teach. Okay, I pray sunnah, 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 sunnah. Or I teach. We will say go and teach. Are you able to do both? No. Okay, just do the teaching. That's better. It's a'la al-maslahataini. It's the higher of the two. Why? Because the benefiting of others takes precedence over the benefit that comes to you alone. Because when you pray, you're going to, benefit, you're going to bring the benefit to yourself. But if you go out there and you teach, the benefit is not just for you. It's for others as well. Other people are going to receive it. But of course, that is used in the tazahumi. When there are two benefits running besides each other. وَيُرْتَكَبُ أَخَفُّ الْمَفْسَدَتَيْنِ عِنْدَ التَّزَاحُمِي And also when there are two mafasid, there are two harms, you take the lesser of the two. You take the lesser of the two. And you're in a situation where you're going to have to take one of the two harms. Okay? The lesser of the two harms is, which you, is that which you take. Mm-hmm. وَعِنْدَ التَّكَافُؤِ فَدَرْءُ الْمَفَاسِدِ أَوْلَى مِنْ جَلْبِ الْمَصَارِحِ um, what about if you have maslaha and a mafsada? Maslaha and a mafsada. In a situation like that, repelling the mafsada takes precedence over bringing about any good. You repel the harm first. Don't, you're in a situation where you can bring good, okay, or repel a harm. Repelling the harm takes precedence over bringing any good. Okay. Any examples? The thing is, the examples sometimes may not be accurate, and sometimes some people may push a principle based upon an example. Okay? So the examples don't necessarily always give you an accurate understanding of the principle. And sometimes people repel a principle based on an example that wasn't accurate. And so because the example wasn't accurate, they'll say that the principle is also not accurate. So that's why these ones, um, it's hard to really say this is the best example for it. Araftum? But let's think together a situation. We might all agree that there is two harms. Okay? 
Okay? So let me give an example of two maslaha. They're two good, but I'll take the higher of the two. An example is the mistake the Hanafiya fall into. The Hanafiya, they fall into a big mistake, which is what they do is on Fajr, if you go to the masjid, you always, not always, but a lot of the times what you tend to see is they are praying sunnah. When the wajib is being led. So, you, have you guys seen that? That they're praying sunnah when there's wajib. Ha. Praying the sunnah is a maslaha, yes. And praying the wajib is a maslaha, yes. Which of the two is a bigger maslaha? Huh? Which of the two is a bigger maslaha? The wajib. The wajib. So you go to, to the wajib. That's why they are taking the lesser of the two. So it goes against this qa'idah without a doubt. And it also even goes against the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, where he said there is no salah when there is the wajib. Okay, it goes against that hadith anyways. But it goes against this principle as well. Okay. Two harms. We got two harms. Are you? What about two harms? An example of two harms. Okay, one quick example that comes to me. Um, a woman is in a house, and the house is burning. And she will not get time to wear her hijab in order to come out. And if she stays, she will die. Her coming out is a harm is a mafsada. Her dying in the place is a mafsada. Which of the two is she going to take? Nah, she will leave the house without no hijab. She will leave the house without no hijab. Ha, correct. Do you see? So she leaves, even though it's a mafsada, lakin it's aqal, it's lesser than the life of this woman. Her life is more honorable. Her presence and her existence is more greater. So what we say is, take the lesser of the two harms. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it enters many more things like that. What about if they're two the same? The maslaha and the mafsada are both the same. An example I may give for that is, for example, okay, 
not every situation, but um, mobile phones. Mobile phones. For example, using the mobile phone, it has masalih. There's no one going to debate it. There's a lot of masalih, a lot of khair, a lot of good that is in it. Okay? And using it has a lot of harm. And if I'm good, and I'm being good, in some situations for some people, the harm and the good might be the same. If your situation is that the good is better more than the harm, then it's qadiyah akhar. And if you, the evil is more than the good, then it's another discussion. We're talking about someone who, the good and the harm are running parallel to one another. The good and the harm is parallel. In a situation like that, what do you do? You do dar'ul mafsadati min awla ujjal bil maslaha. Dar'ul mafsadati, you repel this harm, then thinking about bringing good. Sometimes people say, I'm going to bring uh, this television for my children. They can watch the television because they're going to learn this and this and this from it. But what about the harm they're going to learn from it? Shouldn't you think about repelling the harm before you think about bringing the good? I think that's always the mindset that should be in a person's mind. Okay? Repelling the harm should be a focus point than thinking about bringing good. I'll give you an example that I tend to find a lot when it comes to the tarbiyah of the children. A lot of parents, a lot of parents are really focused on uh, teaching their children the Quran, making their children you know, become good, pe- good kids. But what they tend to forget is that they've brought harmful things that have distracted the child. So the good that you're bringing is not going to be beneficial for them because there's p- the presence of harm is there. Yani, it's actually better in a lot of the situations for so many parents, they don't bring any good to their children, but at least they repel the harm from them. Do you see my point? It's better that you don't make your child memorize no Quran, no nothing, than, the, than just focus on just repelling the harm from him. Are we all together? Because if you try, uh, I'm not saying don't bring good to your children. I'm saying, of course, teach your children the Quran. And that's what you should be doing. But what I'm saying is that if you're trying to bring them Quran, but you're also bringing so much harmful things with it, and you're bringing other problematic things with it, then remember, Dar'ul mafsadati awla min jalbil maslaha. Repelling the harm takes precedence over bringing good. Okay? So think about removing the harm, getting rid of the harm, then trying to consider um, bringing good. Okay? Why do I say that? Because the default position is the fitrah of the person is good originally. If you actually leave someone the way they are, you don't touch them, and they grow up like that, and no interference comes, the person generally turns out to be good. Are we all together? The fitrah of the person is good. Okay? Now, external things affect a person. It affects a person. If those external things are bad, they make the person go bad. And if the person, the external things are good, they benefit the person in good. So what I say is that, spend more time repelling harm 
and evil things from yourself or from others. And once you've done that, think about bringing good, bringing good, bringing good. Yeah? I'll give an example. If you've got a basket and inside there you put good and bad, good and bad, good and bad. Later, if you look at it, you have nothing. You don't know which one is which. It all mixes up. They all become the same. Whereas, if you think about bringing only good and stopping the harm, that's the best situation. If you don't bring anything inside there, you defect, deflect every harm from it. It stays an empty, clean basket. Nothing. Some situations that is better than the facade that comes into a person. Why? Because ignorance is two types, right? There's a jahl called jahl basit and a jahl murakab. A compounded ignorance and a, um, a compounded ignorance. Where the person is just, he thinks he knows but he doesn't know. That's the one who harm and good has come to him. Mixed up, he doesn't know which one is which now. Another one is jahl basit. The one whose basket is empty, there's nothing in it. That child that you've deflected everything from generally listens to you. Hears everything you say. Whenever you tell him something, it's what you said. He'll take it. And it has a lot of benefits in there. It's a long discussion. But if two good and a harm are running besides one another, think about removing the harm instead of thinking about bringing the good. Okay. Um, okay, another thing the author mentions here is A ruling is not present for something Unless the conditions are present And the preventative factor is absent You can't say So and so is a Muslim Unless the conditions are present And the preventative factors are absent You can't say so and so is a kafir until the conditions are present and the preventative factor are absent. What does that mean? For example, the conditions are all there. He has sanity. He was not forced to do it. Da, 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 da. All of the conditions are there. And there's no preventative factor. Things that are preventing this ruling from him. Uh, there shouldn't be. Then and only then, we say, he is a uh, Muslim. Or he's a disbeliever, sorry. For example, a person is not called a musalli, a person who's prayed or who prays unless the conditions are there and the preventative factors are absent. You can use that for everything. You can't call this marriage a marriage unless the conditions are present and the preventative factors are missing. And nothing gets a ruling given to it unless the conditions are there and the preventative factors are missing. So you have to learn... Shurut and mawani' for everything. The prerequisites for everything and the and the preventative factors. You need to learn it. That's another qa'id which is very important. <coughs> also another principle is Al-Hukm Yaduru Ma'illati Thubutan wa Adama. That our ruling revolves around its reasoning. So for example, alcohol was made haram because of intoxication. That's, this ruling of haram is connected to this reason, which is intoxication. I mean, 
Alcohol is a fluid. Water is a fluid. What makes alcohol haram and water halal? The reason is because alcohol intoxicates. So that's the reason. Then the ruling of halal and haram is connected to this intoxication. If the intoxication goes, so let's say we've got alcohol here. Hypothetical scenario. We did something to it, there's no intoxication anymore. This alcohol does not intoxicate. It's, been, it's taken out. Is it haram? No. It's no longer haram. Why? The ruling of haram revolves around the reason. The reason is no longer there. The intoxication is no longer there. So the ruling also goes with it. That's another qaida. Okay? For example, I'll give you an example. So-and-so cannot enter the house. Why? Because he's tall. For example, just example. So your reason of preventing this person to enter is because of their height. If I bring someone who's short, you must let them in. Because your reasoning of preventing is no longer there. Does that make sense? So the Sharia connects rulings based on illa reasoning. If that reasoning is there, the, if the reasoning is there, the ruling is there. If the reasoning is absent, the ruling is also absent with it. Yani there's no, there's no halal or haram in uh, there's no haram in that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, so again, if anything has alcohol in it, okay, and the amount of alcohol in it is still little, but it doesn't intoxicate, it's still haram. Because the Prophet said in the hadith, Ma askara haram. And if someone came up to you now and said, Look, let me just take a sip from an alcohol, sip, that's it. Who says haram? But he said, I didn't get this, I did not get intoxicated. I am not intoxicated. We'll say, if you had so much of this, would it intoxicate you? Yeah, ah, you will. Then, um, it's haram. And if you, you sipped it once, what about if you sipped it 10 times? Would you get intoxicated? No. What about 20 times? Maybe. What about 40 times? Yes, definitely. For example, Like in some scholars, they said, some scholars, they said that these things that have alcohol in these sweets, these things that have alcohol in it, if you ate a lot of it, would you ever be intoxicated? I ate so much of it. Would I ever be intoxicated? No. They said, since you won't, it doesn't apply in the hadith of the Prophet because the Prophet said, مَا أَسْكَرَ كَثِيرُهُ فَقَلِيلُهُ حَرَمُ Whatever its large amount intoxicates you, its little amount you can't take. But that's with the condition that if you took a lot of a lot of it, it will intoxicate you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Another principle is al asr fil ibadat al hadaru illa ma warada an al-shari'a tashri'uhu wal asr fil adat al-ibahat illa ma warada an al-shari'a tahrimuhu the author rahimahullah goes into another qaida which is 
and these are principles that are taken from the Quran and the Sunnah, is that you can't do anything in the religion unless you have evidence for it. That's why Allah said in the ayah, Anything in this religion, you need evidence for it. And anything when it comes to worldly affairs, it's permissible for you to do it unless there comes a textual evidence that makes it haram from you. Yeah, and you can, do, you can eat what you want, you can drink what you want, you can wear what you want, unless the Quran and the Sunnah made it haram. Because Allah said in the Quran, Allah created everything for you. Everything Allah created it for you. Sah? The author Rahimullah then says, Ida ibadati, if the reasons of the ibadat are found, and also the reasons of rights that are upon you are found, the reasons for it has been found. Thabata is you have to come with that ibadah or you have to fulfill that haq. So before we mention that if somebody claims something against you, if there's no reason for it, there's no evidence for it, you don't have to do. But if they have their evidence, their proof, you have to do it. Also another qa'idah is al-wajibatu talzamul mukallafin. The wajibat are made obligatory upon the mukallaf. Whenever we say you have to pray Dhuhr, you have to pray Asr, you have to pray Maghrib, you can't say, are you trying to say that the two-year-old has to pray? The minute I said you have to pray Dhuhr, I'm straight away talking to a mukallaf. Al-wajibatu talzamul mukallafina. The wajib, the wajib, it's only obligatory on the mukallaf. Mukallaf is a person who has two criteria: Aqil and balig. He's sane and he's reached age of puberty. Now we're going to go into another, another chapter, which is the ninth one. The author, rahimahullah, he talks about qawlu sahabi the statement of a companion. A sahabi statement, is it an evidence? Is it proof? The scholars, they differ upon it. The usuliyin, they differ upon qawlu sahabi The statement of a sahabi, is it a proof or not? There is a khilaf amongst the scholars. There is. Lakin, the strongest opinion is that the qawlu sahabi is a hujjah. Is a proof. When is it a proof? It's a proof um, if no one opposed him. No one opposed him. And there's no opposition. So he said something and no one opposed him. We have to follow him. If there's another Sahabi that opposed him, or another female companion who opposed him, then one statement is not a proof over the other. One statement of one companion is not a hujjah on another one. Okay? We strengthen their views based on which one is closest to the evidence. And we look at their statement and which one is closer to the evidence. That's what we say. Allah Taala said in the Quran, "وَالسَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنْصَارِ وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ بِإِحْسَانٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَرَضُوا عَنْهُ." Allah mentioned here, "السَّابِقُونَ الْأَوَّلُونَ مِنَ الْمُهَاجِرِينَ وَالْأَنْصَارِ مُهَاجِرِينَ الْأَنْصَارِ." And then Allah says, "وَالَّذِينَ تَبَعُوهُمْ" those who follow them. 
The Prophet said in the hadith, Imam Tirmidhi narrated, Anyone who is upon that which I and my companions are upon. And then the companions, their statement is a proof. It's a proof. That's the strongest opinion. Okay? If they have three views amongst themselves, the Sahabas, then we are only allowed to choose within those three views. We're not allowed to create another view outside those views that they had. Number 10, inshallah ta'ala, the last and final chapter. The author, rahimahullah, here he speaks about Al-Amr wal-Nahyu, Al-Fadl umum Al-Ijtihad wal-Taqlid. He talks about commands and prohibitions, which we already kind of mentioned. And also, umum, generalization. The author is going to speak about it here. He's also going to speak about a point that he hasn't spoken about, which is Al-Ijtihad wal-Taqlid. Who's, a, who's allowed to do ijtihad, independent reasoning? Who is a mujtahid? And who's a muqallid, a blind follower? And if you look at the books of Usulul Fiqh, you'll always find that is the final chapter of Usulul Fiqh. And in the chapter of Usulul Fiqh, the last chapter is generally Al-Ijtihad wa taqlid Al-Ijtihad wa taqlid Let's quickly go over it, inshaAllah ta'ala, the, the, the Amr and the Nahi, the um, commands and the prohibitions. الأمر بالشيء نهي عن ضده. If Allah Taala commands you to do something, He is prohibiting you from the opposite. The author is saying that now. Okay. والنهي عن شيء أمر بالضده. If Allah prohibits you from something, He is commanding you the opposite. That's the author what he is saying. ويقتض الفساد. And anything that's prohibited from you necessitates فساد. يعني if you do it, it's corrupt. If Allah prohibited you from something, okay, and you go and do it, it's null and void. For example, a person goes and he does an act of innovation, which Allah prohibited. You're not allowed to innovate in the religion. He goes and he does that action. That action is null and void. It's facade, it's corrupt. Because of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, it's rejected. It's corrupt. It's not going to be accepted. The author then says, Unless the evidences show otherwise. Mm-hmm. Unless the evidences show otherwise. I already mentioned this issue. If you're commanded to do something after a prohibition, then it takes it back to what it used to be. And I gave the evidences of وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ فَاسْتَادُوا Allah Taala is commanding the people of Hajj to do hunting. Allah is commanding them, commanding them to do hunting after Hajj. Allah says, وَإِذَا حَلَلْتُمْ Once you have left the state of Ihram, go and hunt. فَاسْتَادُوا فَاسْتَادُوا is Amr. It's a command. Does this command show obligation? No, we say no, it doesn't. Uh, why? Because this command came after a prohibition. Because they were prohibited from hunting whilst they were in a state of ihram. And so it takes it back to what it used to be. What was it before? What was hunting before hajj? It was mubah. It was mubah. If they wanted, they could hunt. And if they wanted, they could leave it. So it takes it back to what it used to be. It takes it back to what it used to be. 
Naam. Okay. Wal-amru wa nahu yaqtadiyani al-fawra. Okay, the author, rahimahullah, here he says, if Allah commands you to do something, or if Allah prohibits you from something, do you have to do it straight away? Okay, you take your time. If Allah prohibits you from something, do you have to stay away from it straight away? The author is saying yes. You have to stay away from it straight away, and if Allah commands you to do something, you have to do it straight away. وَلَا يَقْتَضِ الْأَمْرُ If Allah tells you to do something, does that mean you have to do it so many times? Or is it just once that suffices it? The author is saying once suffices it. إِلَّا إِذَا عُلِّقَ عَلَى سَبَبٍ Unless the command is connected to a reason. And that reason keeps coming back. Like, for example, Allah says, Subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَقِمِ الصَّلَاةَ لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ Establish the prayer. لِدُلُوكِ الشَّمْسِ Whenever the sun comes out and the sun reaches a particular stage, yani now the command has been connected to this. So then this, because this one keeps repeating, the command would have to be, keep repeating as well. But just a mere command, no. That's what the author is saying. Good. The author then goes into Al-Fadl Umum. Terms which are general. Al-Fadl which are umum. General terms. Let words in the Arabic language are used as umum, general. He said, kakul, like the word kul. Wajami' wal mufradul mudaf. The word kul, it shows generalization. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, kullu nafsin da'iqatul maut. Everyone's going to taste death. Okay, the word jami' is also a generalization. Allah says, وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ That the whole entire earth, all of it, جَمِيعًا, all of it, قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالْمُفْرَدُ الْمُضَافِ is a singular. If it's ascribed, then it shows generalization. وَإِن تَعُدُّ نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ If you count the blessings of Allah, even though the word ni'mah is only one, and the plural for it is ni'am or ala'ah, but because this the word ni'mah is being ascribed to Allah Azza wa Jalla, it shows generalization, it shows a lot, it shows umum. The mufrad, if it's attributed to someone, um, it shows generalization. So he says something like that in his qawaid al fiqhiyah. Also, when nakira fi siyaqin nahi, a prohibition, sorry, a negation in the context of a prohibition shows generalization. If you're prohibited from something, okay, but there's an indefinite word inside the text. So there's a negation, and then after it comes an indefinite word. This indefinite word shows generalization. Okay, it shows what? Generalization. نعم لا قوله تعالى وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship Allah and do not associate partners with Him. Allah says وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاشِبَ اللَّهَ وَلَا وَلَا هِيَ دَلَا is نَاهِيَ It's prohibition. شَيْئًا is an akira, is an indefinite. It shows you're not allowed to associate partners with Allah anything. Anything. لا مَلَكُ مُقَرَّبٌ وَلَا نَبِيٌ مُرْسَلٌ You can't say always oh, a righteous person. Is this? لا. The ayah says وَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Okay, our nafi, 
negation. وَمَا مِنْ إِلَهٍ إِلَّا اللَّهِ That's an example for it. أو الاستفهام or an uh, 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 indefinite in the context of an interrogation. Like مَنْ إِلَهٌ غَيْرُ اللَّهِ يَأْتِيكُمْ بِالضِّيَاءِ Or شرط, condition. وَإِنْ أَحَدُ مِنَ الْمُشِّكِينَ اسْتَجَارَكَ فَأَجِرْهُ حَتَّى يَسْمَعَ كَلَامَ اللَّهِ ثُمَّ أَبَلِغْهُ مَأْمَنَا Or will jins like إِنَّ الْبَقَرَ تَشَابَهَ عَلَيْنَا Or will istighraq or shows istighraq وَخُولِقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفَ For example All of those they show generalization All of those All of those they show generalization The author then says وَالْعِبْرَةُ بِعُمُومِ اللَّفْتِ لَا بِخُصُوصِ سَبَبِ if a ayah comes and the ayah is general, but it came down on a specific situation, it specifically came down on the Prophet ﷺ, but the wording is general, but it came down on the Prophet ﷺ, okay? We will take the generalization of the wording and we are not going to specify it because of the person it came down on. Because if we do that, that means the whole Qur'an is going to be referring to Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali and the Sahabas and the Munafiqeen that it came down on and the disbelievers that also came down on. Yani, all of it came down on other people, not us. لا. We look at the ayat. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ فِرَ اللَّهِ You can't say this ayat came down in this particular situation. So, وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهِ specifically speaking to so-and-so, not us. لا, you can't say that. You say, الْعِبْرَةَ بِعُمُومِ اللَّهِ لَا بِخُصُوصِ السَّبَبِ we look at the general word that's used here and we don't look at the specific, specific person it came down on. If that ruling is specific on that person and it doesn't have anyone else in it, that's another discussion. Okay? That's another discussion. That is another discussion. An example the scholars give for this is that a man came to the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya Rasulullah, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I kissed a woman. She's not my wife, she's not my sister. I kissed her. What do I do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent the ayah down on him. Inna al-hasanati yudhibna sayyat. The man said, Ya Rasulullah, is this ayah specifically for me only? Is it for me only? Am I the only one that's been spoken about in this ayah? Inna al-hasanati yudhibna sayyat. Then the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Bal, this ayah, rather, it's for everyone in this ummah. Just not for you. But it came down on this man. The Prophet is teaching us the qa'idah, al-ibrata bi'umumi lafti la bi-khususi sabab. It's for anybody who is similar to this man in the situation he fell into. Okay? That's important to understand. The author then says, وَفِعْلُوا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ The Prophet's actions. Alayhi salatu wasalam. We follow him in those actions. Unless there's evidence to show you that it's specific to him. Yeah, and we can follow the Prophet's actions. Alayhi salatu wasalam. Generally speaking, he says, unless there's evidence that shows us otherwise.
The author, rahimahullah, he talks about al-masail qisman. The matters in the religion are two types. He says, mujma'un alayha fatahtaju ila tasawurin wa taswirin ala iqamati daril alayha thumma yuhkamu alayha ba'da tasawir wal istilal wa qismun fiha khilafun fatahtaju ma'a dhalika ila al-jawabi an dalil al-munazi'i hadha fi haqq al-mujtahidi wal-mustadili wa amal muqallidi fa wadhifatu su'alu li ahli al-ilmi The author, rahimahullah, he says the issues of the religion are two types. Issues which are unanimously agreed upon. These issues, all they need from you is to understand it, it is to perceive it, it is to just know your evidences, and um, so you have a perception and the evidences, and you apply the two. It's, it's already agreed upon. There's another discussion, there's another issue, which is issues which are disagreed upon. Issues which are disagreed upon. And there's khilaf. The scholars are differing upon this issue. This issue, it's not enough to just look at your evidence. And it's not enough for you to just have perception. Ah, those two are not enough. Ah, what do you have to do? There's a third thing, which is you have to know the evidences of the opposing individual. And what is his arguments? The author says this issue of knowing the view of the other person, this is not the wadifatul muqallid. This is not the job of a blind follower. It's not the job of a blind follower. A blind follower, he doesn't know. He only knows what's for him and the evidences that he needs to use and that his shaykh told him. Then the author, rahimahullah, he goes into the issue of a taqlid. He said, taqlid is what? It is to accept the statement of someone without no evidence. Okay? But the one who has the ability to look for the evidences, he must look for the evidence and must do independent reasoning. As for the one who doesn't have the ability, he doesn't have the ability. He asked a blind fellow and asked questions. As Allah Taala said in the ayah, The people are two types. There's the one who's been asked and there's the one who's asking. That's it. That's it. You're either the one who's asked or you're the one who's been who's asking. There's no other middle path for it. Are we all together? The ayah says it. So this is the mujtahid and the muqallid, the blind follower. That's what the author, rahimahullah, mentioned, rahimahullah ta'ala. We'll leave it there, inshallah ta'ala, since the book is now finished. Shaykh rahimahullah completed it here. That's why he said at the ending, وَصَلَّى ala Muhammadin Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi he says Rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam So we'll stop there inshallah ta'ala anything which I have said that was wrong or incorrect is from me and shaitan and Allah and his messenger are free from it subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illallah astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk